Welcome everybody to our Monday Night Live chat show. My name is Derek Arden and today we've got a fabulous speaker, uh, somebody I've known for 10 years from the uh, Professional Speaking Association in the UK, a man of all sorts of tricks. Not only was uh, Paul Sloan the top IBM salesperson for uh, a number of years, he's written 20 books, he's a lateral thinking guru, um, uh, expert at chess, he's got one of the top chess speakers talking to his chess groups uh, um, shortly. And in lockdown, and this is what particularly attracted me, was that Paul crowdfunded this book, uh, 1234, 1234, wacky, witty, and wonderful words. And uh, I was very keen to support Paul because uh, all the proceeds after the crowdfunding go to the National Health Service. So that's absolutely brilliant, Paul. Paul, welcome. And um, I'd like to kick off, first of all, with asking you about the book, about the crowdfunding and how it works. Because when we talked about it last week, you were telling me there's a particular benefit in crowdfunding certain things. That's right. So I've, most of my other books have been published by, I've got a New York publisher, Sterling, and a couple of publishers in London, Pearson and Kogan Page, but I couldn't get anyone interested in publishing this book, so I decided to self-publish. And I launched it using Indiegogo, which is a crowdfunding platform. Um, and it was quite a lot of fun. You have to uh, uh, do a video for the book, and you have to explain what it is, and then you invite everybody you know to support it. And what I did was I made all of the proceeds from the launch go to Step by Step, which is a charity which helps disadvantaged young people. Uh, which helps a lot. And then I sent out this message to everybody I knew saying, would you like to support this book? It's a lot of fun. It's a book of uh, witty, wacky, wonderful words. Um, and a lot of people did. And I got uh, you know 70 or 80 people supporting it, raised £2,400. Um, but the benefit of crowdfunding is that you've then got supporters. You've got people who write reviews for the book and generally support it. And this is what people find when they say you wanted to crowdfund a new restaurant. Say you were launching a restaurant and you were going to do a restaurant which did Brazilian food in your town. Um, what you could do and you needed to raise, you know, $60,000 or pounds. What you can do is you can say, I want 60 people each to give me uh, £100 and that will give me or 60 people, uh, 600 people to give me £100. Uh, and out you go and you get those 600 people and they will give you the 100 pounds and you say you'll get a free meal your first meal will be free when you come and when you get you raise the money you may a lot of uh, funds are oversubscribed we were oversubscribed i was aiming for 2000 we got 2400 um some are undersubscribed but whatever happens you end up with a bunch of people who own shares or some uh, a loan or some perk in the business and they all want you to succeed they all want you to do well and they become evangelists and supporters. They also become critics if they think anything's not right. But they're basically they want you to succeed and they'll come along and they'll support you and they'll write reviews and they'll tell their friends. So crowdfunding is increasingly popular for people who want to start a business because you get a community of evangelists and well-wishers as well as financial support. And that's what happened with this book, which I would recommend to you. It's available on Amazon and all good booksellers. One, two, three, four wacky witty and wonderful words and i've got a copy of it here paul paul um your video is jumping around a bit the sound is fantastic but uh, the video is jumping around a bit i don't know if there's a broadband connection there's probably nothing we can do about that but the uh, we can all hear you well i've put you on gallery view but uh, i don't know if there's anything at your I'm end i'm going to stop video then we'll get even better audio 
Okay, but the audio is okay. We can't see you now. We're looking at uh, Einstein, I think it is. Is that Einstein? No, that's me as a young man. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good. Paul, um, crowdfunding, does that cost anything? How does that work? I well, mean, Indiegogo takes 5% uh, or something of the funds raised. Okay. But that's all. Right. There's Kickstarter, there's Indiegogo, there's uh, uh, Crowdcube. There's, there's a whole bunch of different platforms that you can choose. Uh, and some of them specialize just in book launches. Uh, but uh, Indiegogo was pretty good, I found. Okay, okay. And what if, what if you don't get very much money in? Does, does that matter? You know, you just obviously don't launch it. Do you have to give people their money back? You'd have to give your money back or you'd have to go through with it, yes. Okay, okay. So you've got to be pretty serious before you... Yeah, you've got to be serious. But And it forces you to be serious. It forces you to meet your deadlines and it forces you to produce the book and everything else. Okay, so, so tell us a bit. Of, tell us a little bit about your your history. I know you went to Cambridge, and I won't use that same joke. I went to Cambridge, but I stopped there at the station once. But you went <laughs> to Cambridge, and you were top IBM salesman. Then you did some selling. I know in a software company and all sorts of things like that before you before you started your own business. Yeah, I was in marketing. I was in sales. I was a marketing director, managing director, CEO of a software company. Uh, I've started my own business. I've spoken all around the world spoken in China, India, the Middle East, South Africa, USA, all across Europe, on lateral thinking and the leadership of innovation. Those are my topics, lateral thinking and how you can use it in business uh, to drive innovation. I've got my own LinkedIn group called Lateral Thinking in Business, which I'd invite you to join. Please link with me on LinkedIn and please join my group, um, which is called uh, Lateral Thinking in Business. I've been getting Paul's newsletter for uh, probably about 10 years when we first met. And uh, it's very interesting. I, I think it comes out about once a month, Paul. It's always once got... a month. Uh, yeah, or, or slightly more frequently now, probably once every three weeks, um, whenever I can fill it up with interesting stuff. And it's always got a few puzzles in it and things that I've always been thinking about using in my newsletter, Paul. But uh, I never got round to asking your permission and I wouldn't want it well, to. Well, yeah, by all means, ask. And I, I would typically say yes with acknowledgement. Okay. But I, I, when I, if I hear interesting, funny stories, I share them. But I did hear a very good story last week, which I'd like to share with this group while it's fresh in my memory. Um, and it's not one I can write down, really. And it concerns Max Miller, uh, an old comedian. And he got commissioned to do a show on the BBC radio in the 1950s. And in that time, the BBC was very censorious. It wouldn't allow anything that was offensive or in bad taste or had contained any... Uh, uh, swear words at all and his uh, max miller's friend said to him i'll bet you can't get the f word into your presentation on the bbc and max miller said yeah i'll take the bet and he took the bet anyway the show he did was a sketch uh, a radio sketch and it was about a man going to the optician and the man sat down the optician said read those letters on that chart please and the man said that's a the optician said yes he said that's z he said yes he said that's q he said yeah he said that's r he said yes he said that is a k and the optician said no it's f and the optician and the man said no it's clearly a k the optician said it's an f and the man said it's a k and the optician said to him that is very strange where you see f where i see f you see k <laughs> how clever is that yeah where i see f you see, and it got through the sensors. It went out. Anyway, I heard that story last week, and I thought it was too good not to not to repeat. Brilliant. Um, 
Paul, you've got some slides to show us, I think. I've got some slides. I've got some. I'm, I'm going to take you through some um, la uh, lateral thinking presentations. I do a lot of presentations on lateral thinking. I'm going to give you the light version, the very light version, with a fair number of puzzles. And I'm going to give you the Wally test at the end, uh, which will uh, hopefully... I'll stop that. That's that. I guess the Wally test is for for the for the Wallies, is it? So I it don't will know it will that. identify who's a Wally. It will indeed. Yes. So let's okay. just. So this should come up in a moment. Yeah, uh, the screen sharing is being shown and. Um, Double click to enter full screen mode. Nothing's come up yet. Um, that's not linked to your broadband, is it? No, it shouldn't be, I don't think. All right, I'll stop share again, just a minute. I'll be with you in a moment. Let's just get rid of that. While Paul's doing that, has anyone used LinkedIn Live? Because I'm interested in looking at LinkedIn Live, maybe in putting, because I could record this on YouTube Live. I'm finding out how to do that at the moment. Um, but no one's, if anyone's used YouTube Live or no, a LinkedIn Live or YouTube Live, I wouldn't mind a conversation with them at some stage. So let me know. It's come up, Paul. So that's all looking good. What is lateral thinking? Paul Sloan at Paul Sloan. Yeah, that's me on Twitter. So I'm, I'm very active on Twitter. I've got 40,000 followers there, 7,000 connections on LinkedIn. Please, uh, by all means, follow me on Twitter and link with me on LinkedIn. Congratulations. Um, that's a lot of followers. Well done. Ah, so um, I'll start with this. I'll see if the video plays. This will be the big test. So let's see if you can hear this and watch this little video of lateral thinking in action. Mr. Goodman. What makes you think you're qualified for this job? Oh, oh, stop punching me! Uh, so excuse me for showing that, but it's a, an example of lateral thinking in action. Lateral thinking is coming at the problem from a different direction, doing something different in order to achieve a result. And there are many, many examples of it, and you use it a great deal, I'm sure. Um, and uh, oops, I don't want that. Let me give you this little test then. Uh, what is the number of the space occupied by the car in this car park? Can you work out the number of the space occupied by the car? Would it be better if people put the answer in the chat box, Paul? They can put the answer in the chat box by all means. Most of them are unmuted, that's all. Mm. I've seen this before, I can't remember, so I'm not. <laughs> I'm concentrating on what I do best, and that's hosting the show. I wish I could remember it. I do. I've seen this on your newsletter and I've seen it in puzzles. 
Yeah, so it, appeared in, it appeared in a test for 10 year olds in Singapore. Most of them got it right, apparently. Okay. Well, some of our 10 year olds have got 87 in the chat box. Is that the right answer? 87 is the right answer. And the, uh, the point about this uh, uh, little puzzle is if you start by trying to find a mathematical relationship between 16, 6, 68, 88 and 98, you've started in the wrong place to solve the problem because you have to change your point of view, which is what lateral thinking is all about. It's all about taking a different point of view. The car does not drive in from this side. The car drives in from the other side. So the driver sees 86, 87, 88, 89, 90 and 91. And what I love about this puzzle is this is the only sequence of six consecutive numbers where this puzzle would work, the way they make numbers upside down. Um, and it's a little bit an example of lateral thinking. I'm going to give you some more embarrassing tests as we go through. So if we go way back in history, this is what the uh, Greeks had, uh, the, the um, Egyptians had. They had hieroglyphs and uh, cuneiform in Mesopotamia was a form of hieroglyphs. It was pictures. And this was the earliest form of writing was pictograms where you would show a picture and a picture would represent the sun or the sunrise or a bird uh, or a temple or a priest or anything else. And the problem is, as you add more and more words, you need more and more pictures, more and more symbols. And it's impossible for somebody to know how any of the symbols is pronounced. If they've never seen that thing before, they would not know how to pronounce it. And in fact, the Chinese still used symbols uh, and pictograms to a large extent. And what replaced it was a piece of lateral thinking, which was probably, I think, one of the greatest conceptions that ever any human mind has ever conceived in, the, in all of history. And that is the alphabet. And with the alphabet, with just 24 abstract symbols, you can construct any word. And uh, uh, somebody who's never seen the word would have a good idea how to pronounce it. Um, and the alphabet enabled the, the, the spread of communication and the spread of knowledge incredibly. And the word alphabet comes from the first two letters of the Greek alphabet, alpha and beta. And if you go to Greece, uh, you'll see marvelous temples like this one. This is the Parthenon in um, Athens and it's a beautiful temple and if you go around ancient Greece you'll see many fine temples if you go around ancient Egypt you'll see many fine temples but you will never see an arch because the Greeks didn't have the arch and no matter how much you develop this concept of uprights and lintels which is what they had with their columns and the cross beams you can never develop it into an arch and the whole point about an arch is it's a piece of lateral thinking it's a different entirely different radical approach uh, created by some unknown stonemason uh, and popularized throughout the Roman Empire. This is the Roman aqueduct in Nîmes um, and, and it enables much bigger spaces and it's inherently, I would argue, more beautiful in, in, in many uh, ways. So those are two uh, ancient uh, ideas for um, lateral thinking and talking about ancient artifacts. Here is Edward de Bono and Edward de Bono is the guru of lateral thinking. He's written a lot of books on lateral thinking. His books are very dry and dusty, whereas mine are fun and interesting. But he does have some good ideas. And the story goes that a Ford Motor Company came to him and they said, Dr. De Bono, can you give us uh, a, an idea, please? He said, what's the problem? They said, well, whatever we do, the competition copy. So if we put in anti-lock brakes or rounded bumpers or uh, you know, a nice new steering wheel or dashboard, then Peugeot or Volkswagen or somebody else can do something similar. What do you recommend we can do to get a unique, sustainable, competitive advantage for Ford? 
and he went away, he came back, he said, I've got a great idea for you. They said, what is it? He said, you should go to every major town and city in this country. You should buy a car park in the centre of that town or city and make it available for drivers of Ford cars only. Oh, oh, oh. And their jaws hit the desk. It wasn't what they were expecting and they turned it down. It was too radical, but it seems to me to be brilliantly lateral. And the point of the story is this. They were approaching the problem from the point of view of an automobile engineer who was interested in acceleration and uh, fuel consumption and brake horsepower and 0 to 60 and all of the technical aspects of a car. He didn't approach it from that point of view at all. He did some lateral thinking, approached the problem from the point of view of a little old man or little old woman who wants to go shopping. They're not interested in brake horsepower. They're interested in whether the car will start, get through the traffic and whether they can park when they get to their destination. And if you knew that wherever you drove in your state or county, there was a car parking space available for you at your destination, that would be a powerful reason to buy a Ford, wouldn't it? It would be. Certainly would be. Yeah. Okay. So here are some of the uh, main aspects of lateral thinking, uh, which I go into in a lot of depth. I do run courses, workshops, and uh, online courses on lateral thinking. Uh, and these are some of the things. It's about challenging assumptions and conventions. It's about deliberately adopting a different point of view. It's about asking better questions. It's about displacement, which is forcing yourself to come at it from a different, uh, a, a new starting point. And it's about the use of chance. And these are, and you can harness chance. And I teach methods to use chance uh, in business in order to come up with more creative, more radical ideas. Uh, let's. Uh, I've given you some ancient examples. Let me give you a modern example. In, in 2009, this man Travis Kalanick was in Paris. Uh, for a conference and he couldn't get a taxi. There are very short taxis in Paris. It's a limited number. They, they restrict the number of licenses. Um, and uh, most people would say, well, you have to catch the bus or catch the metro or walk or wait for a taxi. But he said, no, is there a better way to do this? Could I harness any of the unused capacity of all the drivers in Paris who'd give me a lift for a small payment? And he created Uber. And Uber is an example of lateral thinking in business, approaching a problem for an entirely new, fresh direction. And you can't adapt a taxi company to become Uber. You can develop ideas so far, then you have to do some lateral thinking. You, you can't develop an aeroplane and make it into a helicopter. It's an entirely different approach. You can't develop an aeroplane into a rocket ship. You can improve, improve, improve an aeroplane, but it will never become a rocket ship. It's a fundamentally different approach. And it's the same with Uber. Oh, here's a right next puzzle for you. Who's awake? Here's a picture of a tiger. Can you see the hidden tiger in this picture? Look very carefully. Well, I can't, Paul, but some of the 10 year olds we've got on this program, as you said, probably can. Derek, I'm, I, I'm really getting worried about you. Oh, I should worry. I need uh, I need a lot of help, Paul. You're going to kick yourself. But when I came across De Bono's thinking hats and I had to put a few hats on, I gave up with all this. Stuff. Oh, the thinking hats was one of his best conceptions. I teach these six thinking hats and it's, it, it transforms meetings. It's incredibly powerful. Um, he, a lot of his early stuff was very good. His later stuff, I think, fell away uh, and he's not a very good presenter. But some of his early ideas are really good. A lot of them are a derivative. He didn't give credit for where he got them from, but they're still good.
How only are we doing, guys? Only one person's claiming to be able to see it, Paul. I think they've um, they're probably telling fibs. No, come on. This, the hidden tiger is there, staring you in the face. Come on, then, show us. Are you ready? The hidden tiger is written in the stripes of the tiger. Can you see it? Oh, hidden tiger. Hidden. Now, the okay. reason, the reason most people can't get this is I say, here is a picture of a tiger. Can you see the second tiger? And you're, you assume that you're looking for a picture. You see you're searching desperately in the bamboo for the face of a tiger. And you started in the wrong place to solve the problem. It's not a picture, it's text. Mm. And the text is hidden in the stripe and it's in plain sight. It's right in front of you. I bet not, not many people get that though, Paul. Not up. many people get that, but it's a beautiful little puzzle. And I like puzzles like that. Um, and assumptions are very, very dangerous things. Uh, we see them all the time. And Mark Twain, the great American humorist, said this. What gets us into trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we think we know for sure. The things we don't know, we're open minded about. We'll ask questions. We're, we're, we'll listen to different opinions. The things we're sure about are very, very dangerous because we're not open minded. We're not open to persuasion. We think we know. And time and time again, you see, especially in warfare and other areas, that the, the people who are certain of, of outcomes are the ones who come a cropper. Captain of the Titanic is a, a good example. Uh, in 1952, there was only one television company in the UK. It was called the BBC. It was the only broadcaster. And in early 1953, the government decided, auctioned TV licenses for commercial TV stations by region. A lot of companies wanted to get in on this act. They thought it was an opportunity to make a lot of money, to sell advertising on TV for the first time in Great Britain and they put teams of analysts on to see which areas had the best demographics, the wealthiest people who would generate the most advertising revenue. Sidney Bernstein uh, was uh, an entrepreneur who ran a chain of cinemas, Granada Cinemas in the south of England, about uh, eight or nine cinemas. His parents had fled persecution. He was, there was a Jewish family that fled from Eastern Europe and, and entered this country, and he had taken over his father's cinema business. And he said to his is a team. He said, I'd like to bid for one of these TV stations, but I don't want you to bid for the richest region. I want you to find the wettest region in the UK, and we'll bid for that. And uh, his team went away. They came back. They said the, the area with the most precipitation per head of population is the northwest of England, Manchester, Liverpool, Bolton, Burnley, Bury, Stockport, all those places. He said, right, we'll bid for that. And they bid for it and they got it fairly cheaply. And he set up Granada TV. And he'd realised there's no point in getting Brighton or Chelsea and Westminster. If everyone's out walking the dog in the park or gone to the restaurant, you want somewhere where it's pouring down outside and people stay in to watch TV. And the point about the story is this. When everyone else is looking for the richest, the lateral thinker looks in a different direction. They look for the wettest. And De Bono says this, you can't look in a new direction by staring harder in the same direction. You have to turn and look in a different direction. David Bowie said in his great song Changes, turn and face the strange. And that's what I want you to do if you're going to be a lateral thinker. Turn and face the strange.
turn away from the richest, search for the wettest. Brilliant example. And of all the companies that won a franchise in 1953, only one has survived to this day, Granada TV. They did, did Coronation Street, World in Action, all sorts of brilliant and very innovative shows. And he did a lot of uh, innovative things as well in, 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 in his time, just Sidney Bernstein. And it's a lovely story, I think, of lateral thinking in business. Uh, lateral thinking puzzles. I agree, uh, I'm I'm famous for writing books of lateral thinking puzzles. Uh, my blog, the top ten lateral thinking puzzles, has 1.3 million hits. It's my most popular blog posting, and they are all strange situations with limited information, which you play as a game. You probably know quite a few of these. Uh, you ask questions, uh, and the answers can be yes, no, or irrelevant, and you have to come at the problem from fresh directions. That's where the lateral thinking comes in. So if you haven't tried these. They're great things to do with your kids or your grandchildren because uh, kids typically are very good at them and love doing them. And I use them sometimes in my management training to loosen people up and get them thinking differently. Um, we don't have time to do uh, many today, unfortunately, because uh, they do can take quite a while to get a good one. But I'm, I'm going to give you the Wally test and the Wally test requires pencil and paper. And the Wally test is all mean, low, nasty trick questions designed to catch you out and you may think you've got the right answer but if it's not my answer you don't get any points so are you ready off we go paul all right let's start with the first question if a ton of coal costs 30 dollars and a ton of coke costs 25 dollars what will a ton of firewood come to in your best estimation what do you think a ton of firewood will come to if a ton of coal costs $30 and a ton of coke costs $25, what will a ton of firewood come to? Write down your answer, please. Question number two. This is the medical question. Removing an appendix is called an appendectomy. Removing tonsils is called a tonsillectomy. What is it called when they remove a growth from your head? What is the correct term for it when they remove a growth from your head. Write down what you think the answer is to that. Question number three. They get easier, don't worry. Why do Chinese men eat more rice than Japanese men? This is true. Why do Chinese men eat more rice than Japanese men? Question number four. How many cubic metres of earth are there in a hole measuring three metres by four metres by five metres? Four metres wide, five metres long, three metres deep. How many cubic metres of earth are there in that hole? Derek, you've got one at last, I know. I doubt it, Paul. I doubt it. As I said, <laughs> I'll stick to what I'm good at and you stick to what you're good at. I want to see what, uh, what my guests have got. All right, all right. This, that's an easy one. And question number five. This is true. Why are Boy Scouts not allowed to have neckerchiefs any longer? This is true. They're not allowed to have neckerchiefs any longer. Why not? No idea, Paul. No idea. Write down your best guess. There's another five questions, I'm afraid. So that's the first five. Question number six coming up. I'm looking at the gallery pool view pool. There's a lot of very studious people on there. Oh, good. Here's a great question. This is my favourite question, the whole Wally test. What three things that you can eat 
can you never eat for breakfast? What three things that you can eat can you never have for breakfast? It's true. These are things that you have eaten, Derek, but you could not possibly eat them for breakfast. Not a clue, Paul. Come on. <laughs> All right, here's an easy one for you. Which is greater, six dozen dozen or half a dozen dozen? Which is greater, six dozen dozen or half a dozen dozen? Oh, the religious question. Here's the good one. A Muslim living in England cannot be buried on church ground even if he converts to Christianity. Why not? A Muslim living in England cannot be buried on church ground even if he converts to Christianity. Why not? That is, that is a true statement. Number nine. What do you always get hanging from apple trees at any time of the year? What do you always get? hanging from apple trees. And question number 10, I'll finish with an easy one. If it took eight men 10 hours to build a wall, how long would it take four men to build it? So have you written down all your answers to all 10 questions? Good, you can see Amy's nodding. So we'll go through the answer. I'll trust you to mark your own. And then I want you to put your score in the. Uh, I want you to put your score in the chat for maximum embarrassment. Are you ready? If a ton of coal costs $30 and a ton of coke costs $25, what will a ton of firewood come to? The correct answer is ashes or ash. That's what it will come to when it's burnt. It will come to ash. Uh, the medical question, removing an appendix is called an appendectomy, removing tonsils is called a tonsillectomy. What's it called when they remove the growth from your head? The technical term for this, the proper technical term, is a haircut. I will accept shave as well, but haircut normally is the answer given, but I will accept shave. <laughs> How could you fall for that? I'm glad I haven't attempted any of these. I'm <laughs> yeah, taking, come on. I'm yeah, taking I mean... zero from, from the start. Why do Chinese men eat more rice than Japanese men? And the answer is, there's more of them. There's 10 times as many Chinese men as Japanese men, so they eat more rice. Chinese men, in aggregate, eat a lot more rice than Japanese men. All right, there's more of them. How many cubic metres of it? You must have got this one, Derek. Well, only if I got my maths right, Paul. That's 60, is it? Or not? <laughs> no, it's not 60. The answer is zero. There's no earth in the hole. It's a hole. <laughs> it's a famous trick question, that one. There's no, there's no earth in a hole. All right, so the answer is zero. And this question, why are Boy Scouts not allowed to have neckerchiefs any longer? It's a beautiful piece of ambiguity in the English language here. Uh, they're not allowed to have neckerchiefs any longer because they are long enough already. They don't need to be any longer in length. You assumed it was any longer in time. They don't not allowed to have them any longer because they're long enough already, the neckerchiefs. All right. Uh, question number six. Derek, what three things that you can eat can you never have for breakfast? Not a clue, Paul. They are your lunch, your dinner and your supper. <laughs> By definition, they're not breakfast. They're things you can eat. Now, you can have tea if you're from the north of England, but lunch, dinner and tea, lunch, dinner and supper. Uh, you can never have for breakfast. 
Paul, I remember now why I was never a fan of Edward de Bono. <laughs> All right, which is greater? Six dozen, dozen, or half a dozen, dozen? This is an easy one. The answer is they're exactly the same. No, they're not. If you wrote down the same, you got it wrong. Six dozen, dozen is 12 times as many as half a dozen, dozen. The problem is that it's the same number of syllables. So the brain assumes they're the same. Six dozen, dozen, half a dozen, dozen sounds the same, but it's not. Six dozen, dozen is six times 12 times 12. Half a dozen, dozen is six times 12. And it's amazing how many people get that wrong. And it, the brain is deceived by the, the rhythm of the syllables. Now the religious question, a Muslim living in England cannot be buried on church ground even if he converts to Christianity because he's still alive, he's living, and we don't bury living people in England. <laughs> oh. It's true. Oh. So he's living, it says it in the first sentence, a Muslim living in England cannot be buried because he's still alive. That's why. All right, what do you always get hanging from apple trees any time of year? The answer I'm looking for is sore arms. You know, try it, trust me. It works. If you're hanging from an apple tree for any period, you'll get sore arms. And finally, if it took eight men 10 hours to build a wall, how long would it take four men to build it? The answer is no time at all. It's already been built by the eight men. They built it. How long would it take four men to build it? No, it's already there. <laughs> all right. Now, I'm, uh, I trust you to put your answers in the chat. I'll come to it in a moment. <laughs> I'm very worried about people that got, uh, Tim Durkin got five. I'm quite worried about him now. Five is a respectable score. Did anyone get more than five? Well, we've got some fours. We've got some ones. Gabby got a seven. I don't believe that. Uh, she's seven a is a good score. Seven is a very good score. Uh, but anyway, um, so I've got a course for you, which is ideal if you want to improve your lateral thinking. It's called Master Lateral Thinking. It's one of my online courses. Normally retails for uh, $90 plus VAT, I think. And I'm going to offer you a 70% discount for being a fan of Derek Arden. If you go to this website, which I will put in the chat, and you use this coupon code, Arden21, you will get a 70% discount on that course. I'll copy that and put it in chat in a moment. And here are some of my books. Uh, six of my books. I've got a lot more uh, mathematical lateral thinking puzzles, which is if you've got a math student in the family uh, from uh, junior school all the way up to degree level, it's got a range of puzzles. Think Like an Innovator is a business book published by Pearson. My best-selling book is Lateral Thinking Puzzlers, sold about half a million copies. How to Be a Brilliant Thinker is very good about how to develop your brain and use it in different ways. The Leader's Guide to Lateral Thinking Skills is aimed at lead business leaders. And my latest book, uh, the one, two, three, four, wacky, witty, and wonderful words, all available on Amazon. So uh, if you like any of that stuff, please try one of those. And that completes my presentation. Thanks. Do stop share. Yeah, thanks, Paul, for that. Paul, tell me, um, you do a lot of courses on Udemy. Now, I didn't know anything about Udemy till you told me about it. As some uh, trainers and speakers on here, uh, how does that work? So, um, I, so I, I started doing courses about 18 months ago. Somebody said I should try it and I've done it. I'm on three different platforms. I've got my own website in Teachable, which is the one that I've just promoted to you, uh, where you've got complete control of pricing and everything else. 
uh, and then I've put a number of I've got now I've got 14 courses on Udemy and Udemy uh, you lo you have no control over the marketing the pricing uh, you don't get the email addresses of the students but they've got enormous reach so my most of my I've got nearly 10,000 students on Udemy 21% of them are from India uh, about 11% from the USA the third most populous country after India and the USA is Egypt and then the UK and then Germany and then it's places like Morocco, uh, Vietnam, Philippines, Bangladesh, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. It's all sorts of places that I could never reach with my marketing Udemy can get at. But most of those courses they sell for nine dollars. Uh, whatever price you start at, they trash it at soon, sooner or later in a sale. And the Udemy students are all conditioned to wait for the sales. So they wait around and eventually they get an offer and then they buy. Uh, and you because um, Udemy promotes it, you get a small, uh, you only get, end up with about three dollars for a nine dollar sale. So it's small potatoes, but they have a reach that you could never copy. But you don't get the mailing list of your customers, whereas with Teachable, I do. I'm also on Listenable, which is audio courses. And some people love audio and prefer it to video they, they anyone that loves podcasts goes for walks or commutes with headphones uh, might like listenable it's like audible but it's all uh, courses and I've got a lot of my courses on listenable and, and it's a lot of fun uh, and, and I, I work on courses and uh, you can improve them you can get feedback and you can market them so I, I would recommend it to anyone who's got material they want to share and teach then um, the, uh, Udemy, Teachable. There, there are many other platforms you can use, but those are the ones I use. And it sounds like Udemy is the one that's uh, most popular. Um, just Udemy to... is huge, but just it's not very lucrative because you, you only get peanuts for each sale typically, but they have a reach that, that you could never copy. So could you put a one hour course with some slides up there that people could uh, produce quite quickly and yes. just, just put it up there? So uh, a one hour course is about perfect, actually. So, yeah, uh, most and of what, my courses are between they, one and two hours. What would they price that at, Paul? You said uh, it doesn't matter what you price it at. Do you price it at um, a higher figure to, to give you more street cred? Yes. So uh, most of my courses are, you know, uh, 60 70 80 90 dollars some are, some are significantly more than that depending upon the value that you're offering and and a lot of the most popular courses are on python programming or uh things like that are very technical topics are very popular okay okay and um you know that's great right we'll open it any questions now for paul in the chat box please okay uh, derek yeah, Tim, thank you. Uh, Udemy is spelled U-D-E-M-Y, and it is not a lucrative deal for the author, but much of the material that is on there is very, very well done. Um, and you can also see the ratings of the content and the instructor before yes. you choose to buy. Um, but I've taken many, many courses on Udemy, and it's a... Uh, and uh, like I said, you'll sometimes see them priced 10, 15, 20 dollars or pounds. Um, that's why it's not good for the authors, but very good for this, uh, for the inquisitive or curious mind. Yes. And Tim, have you put a course up there at all with all your material? Oh, I, I don't have a course up there, but I've probably bought eight or nine. The, the stuff on the OODA loop, observe, orient, decide and act, it's the best stuff I've ever seen. Um, it's uh, 
it's very good. Yeah. Uh, there's even self-defense on there, if you can believe it. Self-defense courses, I don't know who would there's take it. There's everything them. on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a real treasure trove. So Paul, when you run a course for a big company like Ford or someone like that, um, how do you get people to think outside the box? Are you just looking for one idea, which might be a car park or a, you know something like that, or Uber when you, when you do it for them or? Uh, maybe you're going to end up with one idea, but I'm looking for a hundred ideas. So um, the great thing about me as an external facilitator is I can go in and I can say to everyone, stand on one leg, put your left hand through your right ear, and they'll do it because I'm external. If you try and do it as their boss, you can't do it. It's very hard to change persona. So I go in and I use a range of techniques to get them thinking differently, approaching problems differently. I'll use uh, random word, I'll use scamper, I'll use reverse the problem, I'll use similes, I'll use transformers. I've got a whole range of techniques that I use to get them to generate literally hundreds of ideas. And then I've got techniques that we can use to evaluate the ideas. And then we end up with a short list of really good ideas. And some of those then they'll work up into little project plans uh, for implementation. Fantastic. Okay, Paul, I'm going to stop the recording now. I hope you'll start, stay on for some some questions. Um, how do people get hold of you that are watching this on YouTube or on the podcast? Yep, I'm on LinkedIn, Paul Sloan. I'm on uh, Destination Innovation is my website, uh, and you can uh, by all means contact me by email or by um, through LinkedIn. And I'm on Twitter at Paul Sloan. Thanks very much, Paul. Thanks for joining the. Uh, the Monday Night Live chat show, and we look forward to seeing you again. A usual round of applause for Paul, please.